All right, so we're picking up in Acts today again in uh, chapter 14, verse 21. And the title of today's message is Known to God. Known to God. And hopefully we'll get to see a little bit about that today. But um, I got my tablet back working, so hopefully <laughs> it won't glitch out. I've got printed out notes uh, just in case something goes wrong here. But you know, if I'm involved, I guarantee something will go wrong. But, uh, you know, we talked about acts being the, you know, the word uh, being used for things that kings would do. And that's sort of like what we heard today in politics, where these things that kings and leaders do, they get written down and they go down for history and they affect the lives of so many people. And we see that uh, the acts of God's people and really the acts of God's spirit through God's people um, has a much greater effect. Um, you know, like we were talking about prayer being answered and these decisions coming down, but uh, as believers go out and, and do what God has called them to do, and as we do what God has called us to do, uh, many people will be blessed. And I think uh, most importantly, our Father in Heaven um, is blessed to see us walking in obedience. But uh, previously, we saw that the journey of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas continued, um, that they went out and they kept preaching the gospel to Jews and Gentiles. Um, and that ended up dividing a city that they were in. The city became divided. That not only were certain people believing and other people's not, other people not, but the crowds got pretty worked up. In fact, that they ended up leaving and going uh, further on their journeys. Um, <clears throat> a man ended up being healed through faith. That Paul saw that this man uh, who had been crippled from birth uh, had faith to be healed, and so uh, the Lord healed him through Paul. Uh, but then the locals decided that these guys were Hermes and Zeus, as we looked at, that they were the gods come down in flesh according to their religion. Uh, But Paul and Barnabas greatly refused uh, to be worshipped for that. They said, no, this is God working. This is not of us. We're just men with the same passions that you guys have. But we saw that uh, the people that they uh, apparently had offended chased them and found out where they were and incited a mob and ended up stoning Paul. And we don't know whether Paul died or not. Paul's not even sure what really happened, but he was, they thought he was dead. And uh, when uh, the disciples, uh, when the believers came around him, he rose and uh, he went back into the city. I think that's the last place you and I were go. I mean, that's the last thing I expect to hear is Pastor Saeed would get up and go back to Iran. Um, I don't expect him to do it. I don't think that he, he's not spiritual if he doesn't do it, you know. But, you know, I think that that, that might be a good picture, you know, just like, you know, we wouldn't expect that to happen for any good reason. Uh, we see Paul get up and goes back into the city. But uh, as usual, a couple questions to start out our, our study together. You know, uh, questions like, what does God know? What does God know? I mean, I think this is probably an obvious question. We think, you know, what does God know? Well, he knows everything. He's God, right? But, you know, he's everything. He knows everyone, past, present, future. I mean, some of these things that we take for, get, for granted just to think about for a minute. But what really is his perspective? You know, is he the, the man upstairs? You know, the old guy with the big white beard, uh, Santa Claus, you know, who is he? But his perspective is eternal. It's heavenly. He's the Alpha and the Omegas, we'll see. He sees the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. That uh, what he sees, his perspective, is vastly different than our perspective on things. Um, You know, my daughter has been asking a lot of what and why questions, and they're very good. And sometimes with the Bible or sometimes like with dinner. And she'll say a lot of times, what's after that, Daddy? What's after that? And sometimes I'll answer the questions and I'll just be like, well, you know, I think, I don't know how, I don't know if it was cookies or sweet or something, but like, why does something taste the way it was? I'm like, well, that's the chemicals in the, in the, in the sugar react with your body and your brain enjoys it. She's like, well, why daddy? I'm like, well, that's the way God made us. And she said, well, what's after that? And I said, well, nothing's after that. God is, 
God is after that. He is the I am that I am. He's the, he's the end and he's the beginning. You know, all these reasons come back to, well, this is who God is. And there's nothing after that. You know, if you're into philosophy and things, you know, there's God, there's super God, super duper God, you know, all these things that go out that's just foolishness. But God is I am that I am, as he said to Moses, that he is the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end, the reason for everything. It's, it's all things live and move and have their being in him. Um, and sort of related, you know, to what we're going to talk about today, um, it's a bit tangential, but this past week through an email question from a friend, he had emailed a few of us and just to get our opinion on a topic. I'm not going to go into all of it, but he, he was really asking about faith and authentic faith. And if you have authentic faith, then what? Um, and I just want to turn with you guys to Romans 9, 6 through 28. We're just going to read it sort of as... Um, you know, an introduction to what we're going to read today, just to maybe give us a little bit of a perspective, perhaps, on, uh, you know, just to kind of add a, 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 a pie piece to the puzzle, um, you know, to stuff a million metaphors into one thing. But Romans 9, uh, you can really read the whole chapter, but I'm just going to go 6 through uh, 28, which is the majority of it. Uh, Romans 9 says, But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of the promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose God according that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, The older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Verse 17. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have the power of the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with such long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also the Gentiles, as he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and are beloved who is not beloved, and that shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, that uh, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, Through the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. That's a big section of scripture we could probably uh, talk amongst that amongst ourselves about that for a while but I just wanted to highlight that you know um, that it really is about faith that it's not the children of the flesh but it's the children of the promise 
You know, 2 Timothy 2, 19 through 21 says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. That, you know, Paul's talking about people saying, well, if, you know, if God made me to be a vessel of dishonor, then what's wrong with that? Why does he hold me accountable for that? Well, we see here that, um, you know, we do have a choice that if we want to be cleansed from uh, wickedness, we can be cleansed from it and we can become then a vessel uh, for honor. You know, put coffee in a clean mug, you put flowers in a flower pot, you wouldn't, you know, drink out of the dog bowl, you wouldn't take food out of the trash, hopefully, unless you're really hungry. It's the same thing, you know, there's vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. Uh, but Lord, this morning we ask as we continue to be in your scripture that Lord, you would just highlight it to us and, and more than that, show it to us and reveal to us, God. Um, just your plans and, and your will, and really more than that, God, uh, who you are, that, God, we might be drawn close to you this morning, and that, Lord, you might use us as vessels of honor, that, Lord, we thank you that you saved us, um, no matter what backgrounds we have, and no matter what ethnicity we have, we thank you for the Jewish people, we thank you for using them to bring uh, your son, but, God, we thank you that we don't have to be um, physically Jewish, but that, God, in a sense, we can be uh, heirs of the promise through faith. And we thank you for that this morning. Increase our faith, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pick it up in Acts chapter 14. So we'll flip back a little bit. Acts 14, verse 21. It says, Now it happened in Icon... I'm oh, sorry, it's verse 1. <laughs> it would help us in the right spot. Verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Adalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been uh, commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and uh, gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and then he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And so they stayed there a long time with the disciples. We see here right away that they're preaching the gospel and that they are making uh, disciples. You know, that there's these two distinct calls um, upon a believer and upon really the church and upon the ministry that there's preaching the gospel and making disciples that these things are separate but they work together that there's there's a need to go out and preach the gospel to those who have never heard the gospel before there's a need for evangelism there's a need for missions um, there's a need um, in church service so to speak or in bible study to share the gospel i mean it's it's what all our lives are based on is the gospel so it's important that we don't lose track of that, but also that if there's an unbeliever amongst us, that they might hear the gospel, that the preaching might go out, you know, that how can they believe if they haven't heard it, and how can they hear if there wasn't a preacher? But on top of that, that, um, that there's also making disciples, that once someone has believed, that they need to be discipled. In fact, we all, like we talked about last week, we all need to be discipled, that it's a lifelong process of being discipled and discipling. And, and again, not in this weird shepherding cultic style you know you have to run every decision past somebody but really that hey 
none of us are perfect yet. We all have a lot to learn. And, and really, disciple in Latin is student. The word means student. Um, and that's what we need to do. We need to learn from each other. We need to learn from the Lord. We need to be encouraged together. But that these two calls work together. That as we preach the gospel, disciples then truly are made. When you're a believer, you become a, a disciple. And I think maybe we've lost that idea, in, at least in Western culture, where you're just a believer and now you're a pew warmer. You know, Now you've checked off that box that we've lost this idea that, man, our lives really do follow after Jesus from that point on, but that we need help growing from there. And then as we grow, we begin to preach, our lives preach, even if we don't say anything, that our changed disciple lives begin to go out and, and reach others, and it's this cycle. But these things work together. One's not more important than the other. You know, maybe your gifting is evangelism. Maybe your gifting is teaching or encouragement, and, and it's a little bit different. And one, it doesn't make you better than the other because you have a bunch of disciples, and the other person has a bunch of converts. It's not any different. You wouldn't have any disciples if they didn't make any converts. And you wouldn't be making converts if someone never discipled you. You know, it's like this chicken or the egg sort of deal where they work together, but they're both important and they're both signs of health. You know, you're just evangelizing all the time, but you're not raising anyone up. But, you know, it's great that people are getting saved and God's going to work it. But if these people are not getting plugged in somewhere, well, it's really dangerous for them. But it says here that they strengthen their souls. They strengthen their souls. And, and that, you know, in sort of a inverse sort of way, makes me realize that, yeah, we can have a weak soul. That, man, our souls need to be strengthened. Our, you know, if, it, if it's not strong, it needs to be strengthened. That means it's weak. You know, and Ephesians 3.16 says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. And, yeah, discipleship helps a lot with this. It's so great to have, you know, like we talked about last week, a Barnabas in your life who's an encouragement, an encourager who, man, when you're feeling weak, you can just lean on it. Even if you don't lean on them, they just say something that just blesses you. Um, but really, the one who really strengthens us is, that the Holy, is the Holy Spirit. He's the one who can strengthen us from the inside out, who can strengthen that inner man through the Word of God and worship and just, just time with Him. You know, uh, there's really nothing like the salve of the Word that, Man, when our soul has a, a bruise, when our soul is bleeding, so to speak, you know, like when we're crying, it's really sort of in a sense like our soul bleeding. There's nothing like the Word of God to sort of patch that up. You know, you read the Psalms. You read, you know, if you're down and out, read Jeremiah and Lamentations and realize just how depressed this guy was. And you're like, man, my life's not bad. <laughs> you know? Nothing like the Word of God to come and minister to us. Um, yeah, other people can help us. Our... Uh, you know, friends can take you out and give you a good time or you can have company around you all the time, but it's not going to really fix your soul. God is the one who can fix and who can strengthen your soul. And it's okay if we're a believer and our soul is weak. It's okay to realize that. God wants us to realize that, that we can't do it on our own. And, and from there, as we've seen, that, you know, that is where God's strength can really be made known in our lives. And we realize that, man, we can't do this on our own. But he tells them that they must continue in faith and that they must go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. And I don't think that's something exactly we want to hear. Hey, yeah, great. You know, I don't know that that's really in the evangelistic message. That's more in the discipleship message. The evangelistic message is, hey, you guys are all going to suffer for Jesus. You might go to Iran. You might get uh, taxed by the IRS. I don't know. But um, it's not exactly something you want to hear. That's more of a discipleship message that, yeah, you know, when the rubber hits the road, it's going to be hard. And I think that that's part of a good evangelistic message, that as people are coming to the Lord, that they realize that this is a real decision. This isn't just a, a flighty decision, that this is, man, it's going to be hard, but it's going to be the best hard trip you've ever been on in your life. Um, 
you know, and I think life really, at least to me, can feel like it's just going from one problem to the next. The refrigerator breaks down, you get, and then finally you get that fixed, and then you get a flat tire, and then you're late for work, and then, you know, like it's one problem to the next problem, and life just becomes navigating from problem to problem to problem to problem. Um, and I think that's probably why God says that it's really hard for a rich man to come to the Lord, because money does solve a lot of problems in a sense. Money does begin to mask the real issues in our lives sometimes, even if we're not that rich, even if, you know, we're paycheck to paycheck, sometimes we can still have that issue where we feel like our money is the answer. But really, we need to remember that we are journeying home, that we're not home yet, that even if we live in, you know, Maryland for the rest of our lives or Southern California or wherever it is that God has us on this earth for the rest of our lives, that we're not home yet. That Yeah, maybe we, we put down roots. Maybe we have kids and grandkids and we all live in the same area and we know everyone in the town. That's good, but it's not our final home yet. Um, we need to remember that we are sojourning in this life and that, you know, as someone might be on a long road trip, you're going to have hard trip, hardships. If you are living a, a Bedouin monk, not Bedouin monk, but like a, a tent lifestyle, uh, you know, what are they, the wandering people, nomad, nomadic lifestyle, um, you know, you're going to encounter hard things. Um, you know, we watched uh, that movie The Martian this past week and it really wasn't as good as everyone was making it out to be. The plot was kind of weak, but... Uh, the, the story was interesting and the fact that he's on this planet and he's left there by himself. He's marooned for so many days and he does all these things that are really like outlandish for him to survive this long period of time. But it strikes me that really it says that we're not citizens of Earth, right? That we really are on a foreign planet that, yeah, God designed us for the Garden of Eden. And we're created here. But as believers, this isn't our home. And so really, we've got to make sure that our spacesuit is intact. We've got to make sure that we've got the right food to eat and that we're going in the right direction because we really don't have a day to spare. We really don't have a, a ration to spare because if, if we fall short on any one of these things, we could perish. You know, there's uh, I listen to music at work on a, a computer app and, you know, I don't like own all the albums so I can listen to basically whatever I want, which is kind of cool. Uh, just deal with commercials. But there's this Christian metal band and one of the, the lyrics they have is life is a path death is a destination that a lot of times we think life is a destination that we're trying to get to this this point of life you know everyone's playing the powerball this week at work and it's like nope no thank you i'll be four dollars richer than the rich of you when this is over but um that you know this this life is not our destination it's just the path to the final destination of death that we're all going to die and then well we're going to be somewhere when that happens and you know true christianity is not a cakewalk it's not a club. It's not a resort. You know, maybe you do have fun. You know, uh, I remember going on mission trips and stuff years ago. Now I can't believe how long ago it was. Um, but just going to these island nations and it's like, this is paradise. This is fantastic. Um, but that's not really the Christian life, really. The Christian life is, is hard sometimes. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's a hard, long, and difficult battle at times. But we're not alone. You know, we're not alone. Just like we talk about discipleship and, and companionship in life, that there are other people who go through with this. But sometimes that's just not enough. You know, I think in reality, all the time, it's just not enough. We need the Lord to strengthen us and strengthen us in the inward parts. You know, because there's a guarantee that God already went through it for us on the cross. That every trouble we have in life, God already experienced that for us on the cross. Uh, because really, all our trouble is based on sin. Whether it's our sin or someone else's sin or just... The fact that we're in a sinful world, you know, God, we're not going to have these troubles when we get to heaven. But, you know, we must follow Jesus through the path that he blazed, like the Israelites 
after Moses through the Red Sea. Jesus died on the cross for us, and we must follow him through that path. That doesn't mean that we need to put ourselves on a cross, but that means that we need to follow the narrow way that the cross demands in order for us to make it you know, successfully through to the other side. But it says that they appointed elders um, they pointed elders in every church that they, they needed a solid leadership. You know, I think that goes without saying that anywhere we go, we need solid leadership, whether you're at work, whether you're on a family vacation, you know, you need someone to solidly say, this is what the map is, whether it's you or your spouse or the kid in the back with the GPS on the phone that you don't know how to use. You, you got to know someone's got to take solid leadership for you to get there. I can remember taking youth group trips to Great Adventure and we're following someone and we're like, I've been here before. Why are we going this way? <laughs> you know, it's like a, a really funny uh, a lot of fun times. Um, but it says that in every church they did this. In every church. You know, that there's more than just one church that was planted as these believers were coming up. It wasn't like people would get saved over here. You guys live over here. Let's be a church. Let's live, you live over here. Let's be a church. Let's live over here and be a church. And they appointed elders in those churches. And, uh, you know, I think that it's great that the church was seen as a family. You know, there weren't really denominations yet. You know, don't worry. That's coming. But there weren't denominations yet that, man, these believers were all believers, and they were of one accord, whether they worshipped on Main Street or they worshipped on uh, the countryside. Um, it was a family. But it says that they completed a work. It completed a work here that, um, you know, I think it feels good to get things done. You know, whether you're at work and, you know, you get everything you needed to get done for the day. It feels good when you don't get everything done for the day. It doesn't really feel good, whether it's in chores or what you want to accomplish. It just feels good sometimes to get things done but how much more so in the Lord? And as I was studying this, I'm wondering, man, you know, can I even say that I feel like I've ever completed a work that God's done? Yeah, I've moved on to other things, but was it ever really truly completed? You know, I know like that's sort of my deal now. I like, I'm trying to finish things that I start, but that was a, a big problem for me before I knew the Lord, that I would start things and not finish them. And I have to wonder, you know, spiritually, am I, am I really completing everything that I'm starting here? But we see that, uh, you know, in a sense that there's a praise report. I'm so glad, uh, Gus, that you shared that earlier this morning. Again, I think that's, you know, the Lord working that, yeah, God brought Saeed out of prison. That, yeah, God is doing things in other people's lives and other areas. And that's what they're saying here, that, hey, God is working among the Gentiles. Check it out. It's not happening maybe right here, but it's happening other places as well that God is doing them. And I think that it's great to hear praise reports. Um, it's great to hear what God is doing among other people. You know, I, uh, I like to hear what's going on at other churches. I like to hear what's going on in other believers' lives. I love getting an email update or a newsletter update or I, I see something on Instagram or something of uh, hearing what's going on. Or this past week, uh, a bunch of old friends and kids from youth group and, and I have been texting, just catching up and hearing what's going on in their lives. And it's really good to hear uh, what's going on. And I think on top of that, it also keeps us from thinking that we're the only game in town. You know, if we hang out in our resort and our church and our walls and we never hear what's going on among other believers, even if God is doing great things among us, you know, we tend to look, look around and go, oh, God's not doing anything anywhere else, so we must be special. But in reality, God's doing things all over the earth. And I think it's, it's great to hear that because it reminds us that, yeah, we are all a family of believers. Um, you know, again, those who truly believe, not this whole thing that's going around the world these days. But he says here that they, uh, they opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And, and what a relief that is, you know, that God knew that there needed to be a door open to the Gentiles. Um, you know, just like he closed the door on the ark before the flood, in a sense, he's now opened the door um, to the Gentiles that everyone might come in and might experience salvation. 
You know, the, the opportunity for faith is now open for everyone. There's no restrictions. You don't need to be a certain people. You don't need to cut your flesh. You don't need to do anything other than come to Jesus and come to faith in him these days. And that's really the age of grace, you know, from the cross, from the, the resurrection, death and resurrection, to Jesus, uh, the rapture. We're in the age of grace where, man, you don't need to do anything. You just need to believe. Um, but really, this do, be, when the door is open, God is going to use circumstances to get our attention to an open door. You know, just like a fire alarm will go off. They were testing me at work the other day. Um, we'll get our attention to that there's a fire in the building. We need to look for the door to get out. God will use circumstances in our lives sometimes, just like that fire alarm, to say, hey, there's something going on here. I want you to pay attention for and look for a door of faith that you might walk through. And that's not necessarily, I'm going to go play the Powerball, so to speak. You know, hey, everyone's talking about it. That must be God putting a thing in my life. No, but really that um, he's going to use circumstances, whether that's in work, in life, our relationships. God wants our, to get our attention, and he's going to use things to get them. And I think a lot of times before we know the Lord, those, those situations are a lot harder because we get into circumstances where God would never want us to be in the first place. But really, are we going through something? Are you going through something right now? I'm pretty sure you are. And if you're not, well, tomorrow's Monday, so what's going to happen? And as it's kind of snowing outside, you might be going through some traffic later. But really, that let's pray and look for what open door of faith God is trying to get you to walk through. You know, um, I can remember being stuck in a video game as a kid, these large puzzle games where you'd run around and, you know, have to figure out how to get out of where you're going and put this piece there and that piece there. Um, and I think that's the same way with us. When we get stuck in life and we go, man, I don't know what to do. I'm really kind of stuck here. God begins to go, hey, I've got an opportunity for you by faith to get through this situation. And not in the sense of this whole, you know, I, I always have to put caveats on these things because um, we, there's so many whack ideas about out there about faith. But really that, man, we might believe that God has an opportunity to get us through a situation, whether it's, I don't know how to pay my bills or whether it's, I don't know how to deal with my children or whether it's, um, I don't know how to deal with the situation at work or your car breaks down or some issue in your family or I don't, to, I don't know how to deal with the political situation these days. You know, all these things, God says, hey, I've got a, I've got a door three for you. It's not always door one and door two. Sometimes God has a, a door three by faith, if that makes any sense. But I guarantee that there are opportunities every day for that door of faith, for that opportunity to, to walk by faith through something that God wants to bring you through every day. And, and probably a lot more than we realize. There's probably opportunities a hundred times a day that, that I know I miss um, because I'm, I'm caught up in other things. But really, when uh, we are paying attention to the Spirit, we are in the Word, we are um, seeking after the Lord, those doors become uh, more evident. And at some point, we begin to walk through them so often that you know we, we don't even realize that we're doing it sometimes. Um, but he says that they, they say they're a long time, a long time. And I think it's good that they do that. You know, sometimes it's good to have a steady hand leadership that stays with you for a while, that, that you can have a relationship with, that you can look to, um, uh, as you would look, um, follow them as unto the Lord, as Paul might say. You know, I think a lot of times, you know, that's, just, that's the same thing with uh, uh, preaching and evangelism versus discipleship. Evangelists might come in and do, you know, Greg Laurie might come in and do an outreach, and it would be a fantastic outreach. It might be a three-day weekend, but then he's off to the next city. So who are the people that are there that are sticking around to uh, raise up uh, the people? You know, again, they work in conjunction, but there needs to be relationships there. Let's go on. Verse uh, 15. I'm sorry, chapter 15, verse, uh, first five verses here. 
And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Excuse me. So being sent on their way uh, to the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them uh, to keep the law of Moses. You know, here we go. People are getting saved. The church is growing. Leaders are, are, are being raised up. The gospel is going out. And what happens? Again, we see certain men come in who are legalistic, who are legalistic, who have a set of rules that they live their life by. And they say, well, not that you should obey these things, you know, not that you should do the right thing, but that you're not saved if you don't do these things. You know, it's, it's probably born out of being, they're being adhered to for so long. You know, this tradition that was among them. Um, but maybe it's also elitism or, or this idea of hazing rituals. You think of people in college, you go, I remember one of my friends in college being hazed for a fraternity and he would come by and I would like sneak him food, <laughs> you know, like, it was like craziness. Like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to join your fraternity. I'll go to your party with you, but I'm not going to join. But um, the same thing that, uh, you know, this elitism that, you know, they've gone through it. They've done it. They follow the law and they count it part of their salvation. So how dare you? not be a part of it that way. Um, and that's very dangerous to say that, that we need to do anything other than believe in Jesus to be saved. Um, as we'll see here, we'll look a little bit more about the importance of certain aspects of the law. One of them is not our salvation. You know, Colossians 2, 16 through 19 um, says, So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come by the substances of Christ. You know, I always wonder, do the Seventh-day Adventists ever read this? Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God, saying that people are holding on in their flesh to these outward ordinances, and they've forgotten the head. They've forgotten the thing that it's really pointing to, and that's Jesus. You know, if we have to do anything to gain salvation... To earn salvation, it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. If anyone says you have to do anything other than believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that God raised him from the dead and that that's the way to be forgiven for your sin, it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. Yeah, there's other things that, that we can learn for sanctification. There's other things that we need to follow from that salvation. But that's the only thing that gets us into heaven uh, in this age of grace. You know, again, that's different than sanctification. You know, it's, we do these works, we obey these things from our salvation, not for our salvation. I go, I am saved. I don't want to be a bad witness. I don't want to hurt my relationship with God. I'm going to not do this thing even if I want to do it, so to speak. You know, there's things like baptism. Uh, there's also uh, abstaining or fleeing from sin. There's things like learning the Bible that are all important that we must continue to do. Um, but these things don't earn us a place in heaven, don't get us there. You know, one good way to, to find a legalist or find someone who's uh, stuck in legalism, perhaps, and this isn't always the case, but they love to argue. They love to argue. 
They have this point, they want to make sure you know this point, and they're going to argue the point. Not to say that it's not good to have a discussion or even have a heated discussion in a private setting. Not that, you know, it's wrong to, to whip out the sword and have a little, you know, jousting battle with another believer from time to time. But when they come around and they just want to pick an argument with you, that's a different story. You know, Titus 3, 9 through 11, Paul says, but avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the what? The law. For they are unprofitable and useless. Reject the divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. You know, that's that's an interesting verse. You know, he says, you know, that we can get into it, talk it out, argue with them even first time, second time. But if they come to you again and they still want to argue the same point and there's no growth and there's no change, it says to reject them, that they are warped and sinning. And maybe they're even right. Maybe they're even right about what they're saying, but the way that they're saying it and the divisive nature of what they're saying is that they're warped and sinning. And it's like, if, if we're gonna disagree about something that's not important, that's not salvation-based, well, we kind of need to reject them and realize that, the, that it's not really bringing any fruit, you know? Um, if you've ever been on a highway, right? And all of a sudden you see the red lights backing up, backing up, and there's traffic, and then you see an exit, and you say, I know how to get home from this exit. Well, it's, what do you do most of the time? You, Make sure you can get over and you get over and you take the exit if there's a lot of traffic. That's the same thing here. That's avoiding. When we see these arguments and these divisive things piling up and piling up, just take the exit. Just avoid it. Don't even get involved. You know, you walk into the cafe and you see your friend who's been divisive lately and you've warned them and you've talked with them and you've had a discussion maybe even at length several times and they just still want to argue with you about it. Just avoid it. Just avoid it. Second Timothy 2.23 Paul says this several times in the scriptures. It's obviously important. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they what? Generate strife. And what does James 4, 1 says? Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure, uh, that war in your members? That man, that even these arguments, that these divisive arguments, they're coming from somewhere else. They're coming from some desire to have some rule over somebody or somebody to come to your point of view or that you figured something out or that you follow but really, you know, I don't know that that's the case, that, that they're really in the right. You know, faith is free, and Jesus paid everything for us to have it. You know, yes, we must crucify our flesh. We must die daily based on our salvation, but not to pay for it. Not to pay for it. Any sacrifice that I make, so to speak, quote-unquote sacrifice, does not pay for my salvation. I make it because God has saved me, and I want to continue that relationship with him. And I know that it doesn't earn me anywhere. And even if I screw up and do the wrong thing, I know that there's still forgiveness. I don't have to do penance, so to speak, because Jesus paid for it. You know, legalists want you to, want you to match up to their ideology. You know, I tend to be uh, an idealist, you know, have this ideal in my mind of how something should be. And it comes out to the way, you know, I code things and do things. And it's it, almost to a fault with perfectionism sometimes. So it's not always good. But you know what they say, you know, uh, with one finger pointing, there's four pointing back at you. Well, really kind of three and a half because the thumb was kind of going forward. But, you know, when someone's pointing the finger, there's probably more fingers pointing back at them about that issue. Um, you know, the log in your own eye, Jesus would say, before we worry about the speck on our brothers. You know, judgmentalism and legalism, well, guess what? They go hand in hand because you make judgments based on a law, uh, uh, hopefully, theoretically, a judge in a court system makes a judgment based on a right interpretation of the law, not just about how he feels about something, although today that's kind of where it is. But again, not that we shouldn't judge sin, but that we wouldn't condemn. And that's a whole other argument that we won't get into today. But uh, basically that these least legalistic people love to argue. But the more time, really, that we spend with Jesus, guys, 
the less we're really going to argue on the surface, but we're going to have a stronger, firm foundation in what we believe and really in the one we believe. And that these ABCs and one, two, threes of the law, we're going to understand in a, in, a, in a way that we're firm in, that we don't need to argue in, that we don't need to push our opinion on someone, but we can share with them. We can argue with them rightly once, twice, and then say, okay, you know, that's, that's sort of enough. Um, I think it's interesting that even recently the Anglican Church finally, quote unquote, disciplining the American Episcopalians uh, for their deals with homosexuality and things like that. The, the African Anglicans, who obviously practice differently than some of the other Anglican sects, have been apparently crying out for years that they would discipline the American Church because there's such blatant sin going on. Um, but really, you know, sometimes that, that has to happen. That has to happen. And this isn't legalism. This is something's going on. It needs to be dealt with here. And on the flip side of that, you know, where they aren't being legalistic, where they're doing whatever they want, that's, that's not good um, either. But what is Paul and Barnabas' response to these guys coming in and trying to push on following the law of Moses for salvation? Again, for salvation, not from salvation. Um, it says, no small dis dissension and dispute. And knowing Paul, a guy who gets back up and goes into a city after they killed him, I guarantee this was a very interesting argument, a very interesting dissension that they separated, that they were having a serious dispute to where other people came in and said, we really need to, to escalate this a level. We need to take this up to the Supreme Court, so to speak, go to the apostles and everybody, you know, take it to the next level. You know, disagreements are okay when they're in unity, you know, wanting to get to the bottom of a matter, you know, maybe you think one thing, believe one thing, and I believe another. That's going to happen a million times, I bet. But the idea is when we get together and when we argue these things out, we want to get to the root of the problem. We want to get to the root of the answer. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe we're both wrong. Maybe we're both right. We're coming about it wrong. But we want to get to the right answer with it. We're not splitting. We're not gossiping. We're not backbiting. We want to take the issue. Like the idea of church discipline. When you go to a brother, you get a friend or a brother, they don't listen, and then take them to leadership. You know, there's this process where just because someone says one thing, maybe you even misunderstood it. Or someone... You get in disagreement with someone, but you don't come back a second time to try and sort things out when, when, when tempers have cooled, so to speak. But what did they report? How great they were? How mad and, and divided the argument might have been? You know, no, what God had been doing. When they went to the apostles, they didn't say, he said, she said. They said, look what God is doing among the Gentiles. You know, who are we to, to, to stop against the, what God is doing among them? That God is obviously doing a work among them, and they're not Jewish at all. So what does this have to do with the law of Moses? Um, you know, I think it's easy to see what people really know by how they really act and what they really say. Um, you know, you think about Solomon and the, the two, uh, I believe they were prostitutes, and they had the babies, and one of them rolled over on her baby, and the baby died, and then the, she swept, swapped it with the baby with the other lady, and they woke up, and they went to Solomon, or they were taken to Solomon. Um, and he goes, okay, well, cut the baby in half. And... The mother that was lying said, yeah, okay, good, cut him in half. And the mother that was really the mother said, no, 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 let her take it. And Solomon goes, okay, you're the real mom. <laughs> Obviously, you love this child. And that's the same way as, as our actions, as our arguments play out in life and our behavior and our lifestyle plays out. It's very, um, sometimes it's very, hopefully it's very obvious um, what the truth will be. You know, they say during interrogations, we were watching that <laughs> comedy uh animated movie hoodwinked but he's like let people talk enough and the truth is going to come out and that's the same thing let someone keep talking and keep talking and maybe they have a question like my friend did this week or he listened to these call-in shows on the radio like a pastor's perspective um, where people call in with questions and sometimes it's this pointed question and you sense this bitterness in it and it's 
an answer and they get an answer, but you realize that they're really asking for another reason. They're asking because they've been hurt or they're asking because they want to rationalize their sin or they're asking because they've got an erroneous belief that they're hanging on to. Um, you know, they're not willing to see the, the real answer on it, perhaps. But the Pharisees, you know, the Pharisees, of course, these are the guys that rise up and say these things. Of course, these legalistic guys who base their whole righteousness based on their performance rise up and say, hey, I've been doing this my whole life and, and I'm saved. How can this guy who's a Gentile be saved without doing these things? He's got to come up to my level is what they're really saying. But even today, people just don't get it. People don't get when God is doing something sometimes. I think we miss it because we've got our ideology or we've got our ideas on things. And again, I'm not saying ignore Scripture. I'm not saying that the, the things in Scripture are true. We need to obey them and we need to follow them. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying that sometimes we get so... We can't see the forest for the trees, so to speak. That We get so caught up in our, our country club and our, our pet doctrine that we, we forget what God is able to do um, outside of us, so to speak. But um, we'll go on and read a couple, a couple more verses here. I don't think we're going to get through everything that I wanted to get through today. Uh, let's go on to verse uh, 6 of chapter 15. Now, when the apostles and elders came together, consider this matter. And uh, when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by the mouth of the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That by my mouth, excuse me, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. You know, it said again that they came together to consider the matter, you know, that they were seeking an answer. That there was a lot of a dispute going on. There was a big dispute going on. You know, that saying where you get 10 people in a room and you probably get 20 opinions on the, on the same subject. The same thing going here, especially when it comes to uh, matters of Christianity and faith. But he says that God knows the heart. God knows the heart. And that, that's absolutely true. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I attest the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. That man, we need to realize when we come to the scripture, God, my heart can be wicked. I may believe the truth, but maybe I'm practicing it wrong. Maybe I'm understanding it wrong. Um, and again, we've got to be very careful of that. I'm not saying we can believe whatever we want to believe. I'm not saying that we can do whatever we want to do, uh, that there's important to the way we walk. But that we can't follow our heart. It's false. We can't follow the way we feel about something. Um, and God really knows if we're seeking him or not by faith. God knows if the Gentiles are really seeking him. God knows if the Jewish people are really seeking him. Um, and he knows it by faith. But it says verse here, verse 9, that they made no distinction. And that word could mean to make a distinction, to discriminate, to prefer, um, to give judgment, decide to dispute, withdraw from one or desert, to separate oneself, to be at variance, hesitate or doubt that Man, that God, there's no distinction. That God says, hey, you come to me by faith. doesn't matter where you are, where you're from, who you are, how much money you have, what laws you've obeyed and haven't obeyed. You're coming to me by faith. You're now my child um, because of Jesus. 
Before Jesus on the cross, it was a different story. It wasn't the age of grace yet. You had to come to Judaism. You had to follow the law. That pointed, that showed your faith, pointing to the Messiah. Um, but it's it's different now um, because Jesus has fulfilled the law. You know, Galatians 3, 26-29 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Does he say then that these external distinctions disappear? No, they're still men, they're still women, they're still Jews, they're still Greeks. But when they come to God, there's one faith. There's one faith that binds us all, that we are heirs according to the promise, not according to our works. You know, there's no difference by faith. There's no different faith. You know, if, if you're Jewish and a believer, that's fantastic. If you're Greek and a believer, you're Canadian and a believer, that's fantastic too. But it's the same faith. It's not a different faith. You're different in flesh, but you're not different in faith. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you, in you all. It's important to remember that, yeah, that we need to support the Jewish people. We need to pray for the nation of Israel, especially now with the decisions that America is making and putting them in grave danger. Yes, God is going to protect them, but when it comes down to it, man, um, they're still the apple of his eye. And like it says that, you know, we've been grafted in. They're, they're the olive branch. They're the olive branch. We're the wild ones. But he says here that they test God. That word is tempt. And no man can really, you know, you and I can't really tempt God. You know, we don't really have anything we can offer God to really tempt him, even if he could be. But he says that they, they tempt God because God is doing something among the Gentiles. And now they want to say, hey, well, you've got, to, you've got to put on this burden that even we couldn't follow. What Jewish person really followed all the law? They all had to go to the Day of Atonement. They all had to offer sacrifices. Even the Pharisees, Jesus said, you have to be more righteous than they were to enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, that there's this hypocrisy there. That these guys, really, it's because they're burdened. And a lot of times when people are burdened, they want to put their burdens on you. And that's what they're doing here. They have this burden. We can't bear the law. How come we've been carrying it our whole lives and we can't do it? How come they get to get away with it? You know, it's this whole idea of, like, how come you let my little brother stay up late, you know? How come he gets away with murder and I don't? But through grace, you know, they're saved in the same manner. You know, it's, it's grace that gets us there. We all have the same ticket. There's no segregation, you know. Gentile believers don't have to sit on, on the back of the bus. Jewish believers, you know, don't get a special treatment. And it's not vice versa either. Just because the Gentiles are grafted in doesn't make a Jewish believer less important than you or I. In fact, we're the same importance. I think it's, it's beautiful from a different direction. It's beautiful how God works through Jewish people. It's beautiful how God works through um, uh, the, the Gentile population. But really the point is that there's no segregation based on our flesh when it comes to God's eyes. Yeah, I'm glad we have men's restrooms and women's restrooms. I'm glad for that, even though that seems to be going by the wayside. There are certain segregations in life that we need like that. And again, it's just for those things. It's not for based on who you are as a person or based on you know your skin color or your ethnicity. I think that that stuff is, is evil and it's wicked, no matter what frame you put it in. But that the flesh really, along with that, if we take this, uh, the next step is that the flesh has no consequence in faith. Our flesh cannot produce faith. An act of our flesh cannot make up for a lack of faith. An act of following a Mosaic law cannot make up for an act of faith, believing in the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, the one who gave the law. 
You know, we can't earn it and we're not born into it, but we're born into it. We're born again, excuse me, into it. And that happens by what? It happens by faith. You know, it doesn't happen by, um, by any, other, any other way. There's no way for you or I to come to God and say, well, uh, my parents were believers. I went to the church my whole life. Or, you know, I'm Jewish or I'm uh, born in Greek Orthodox or I'm a pastor or whatever it may be. God says, hey, you know, depart from me. I never knew you. You know, God wants us to know him. And how do we know him? Certainly not by a cutting of the flesh. Certainly not by abstaining from meats and, and uh, worshiping on a certain day of the week as opposed to another day of a week or because the moon is full that night. God wants us to know him through faith and seeing uh, who Jesus is. And yeah, these things point to him and we should abstain from certain things as believers because we know God, but it's really because we know him, uh, because we've met him. It's not a way to meet him. If we had to, to do something to meet God, man, like it says, if God wanted to hide himself, none of us would be able to find him. We'd all be stuck. You know, no matter what size telescope we built, we'd never find him. But uh, we'll finish up the rest of this uh, message next week and, and get more into uh, the book of Acts. And Father, we thank you that, God, we come by faith. We thank you that you've used the Jewish people throughout all of history. Most of the Bible is written by uh, those of Israel, God. We thank you for them. And, and the story of, of, of them in, uh, in our Old Testament, how they led up to uh, your coming and how you used uh, Jewish people to write the New Testament and to be witnesses to all the world and even to us, the Gentiles, God. We thank you for that. We thank you that you saved us no matter where we come from and that God, we don't have to do anything to earn it, Lord. Uh, we can just come to you. So, God, I pray that this week we would come to you by faith, that the things we're walking through, God, we would trust you by faith, and that, God, you would increase our faith, God, that you would help us to trust you and to turn to you and to, God, if, we, if we've been hanging on to something that we need to just let go of, to let go of, if we need to be obedient in a certain area of the Scripture that we haven't been obedient in, help us to do that. But again, Lord, not with the mindset that we need to please you, but that because out of a mindset of gratitude that, Lord, you've saved us. We want to be closer to you in a sense. We don't want anything between us. We want a pure heart. God, would you help us to do that? Would you forgive us of our sin and of relying on anyone but you, God? So would you go uh, uh, before us this week and get everyone here home safe as the weather's kind of turned? And I just uh, pray your blessings on us this day. In Jesus' name, amen.